Well, it is uh, one of the greatest conflicts the world has ever seen. It's that war that has raged for months now. Uh, every day our newspapers and the uh, nightly news have kept us abreast of the latest developments, keeping us uh, informed in what's happening. Uh, it is true lounge chair warfare. No, I'm not talking about the war in Iraq or in Afghanistan. I am, of course, talking about the war between Yana Pittman and Tamsin Lewis. Yes, with all the media attention that that fight has received, you could quite easily be mistaken into thinking that this is one of the greatest conflicts that the world has ever seen. But I guess this falling out between these two friends just goes to remind us that uh, we live in a world of conflict. Uh, conflict is everywhere. Yeah, it's in Iraq and Afghanistan, and we see it in Northern Ireland, and we see it in Palestine and Israel. But it's also a lot closer to home than that, isn't it? Our suburban streets have become a war zone with attacks and, and revenge attacks. The humble backyard fence has become a militarised zone as neighbour takes on neighbour. Marital conflict is at an all-time high. The law courts are overloaded with people who are at loggerheads with one another. We live in a world of conflict. And to quote just about any Miss Universe uh, contestant, what we need most is world peace. But in the Bible passage that we're looking at this morning, there is another battle which is raging. A battle that has been largely overlooked. It's a battle that you will never hear about on the evening news. You'll never read about it in a newspaper. It's a battle that is not addressed by the United Nations. And yet it's a battle far greater than any of the other battles that I've already mentioned. It is in fact the greatest conflict the world has ever seen. And whether you like it or not, it's a battle that you're at the centre of. This morning we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be concentrating on just verses 18 to 21. If you don't have your Bible open, can I encourage you uh, to follow along with me? It'll make it a lot easier for yourself. You can find that on page 819 of the small print Bibles and 1,799 of the large print Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just give a little bit of context to the passage that we're looking at this morning. The Apostle Paul has written this letter to the church in Corinth. And just immediately before the bit that we're looking at, he's described or he's stated that there's two sorts of people in the world. There are those who are in Christ and then there are those who are not in Christ. Uh, in other words, there are Christians and there are those who are not Christian. And then he goes on to describe what Christians are like. He goes on to tell us what has happened to Christians. Read with me from verse 18. The Apostle Paul wrote, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There you are. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a person who has been reconciled to God. Through Christ. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, 
then you have been reconciled to God through Christ. But what does that mean? What does it mean that we've been reconciled? What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, it it means that there's been a friendship and then that friendship has been broken. But now that friendship has been restored once again. That's what it means to be reconciled. See, it's impossible for me to be reconciled to John Howard. Why? Because I've never met the man. He's not my friend. So it's impossible for me to be reconciled to John Howard. Um, It's impossible for me to be reconciled to Jeff Reed. Jeff Reed is my friend, but that's, that's the fact that he is my friend means that I can't be reconciled to him. Uh, he's not my enemy, you see. But according to Paul, Christians have been reconciled to God. So by definition, that means we were once friends with God, then that friendship was broken, but now we are friends with him again. I wonder if you've ever thought in these terms before. I wonder if you've ever thought of your friendship with God as having been broken. That you were once enemies of God. Now I ask that question because I think most people these days don't tend to think of themselves as being enemies with God. That most people kind of think of God as their big buddy upstairs. They've got no problem with God. They, they consider God their friend. So why would God consider them to be his enemy? And then there's those other sorts of people who don't necessarily think of God as their friend, but they certainly don't think of him as their enemy either. For them, God's a bit like that bloke that lives down the street that you never see, you never speak to. You know, you're, not his, you're not his friend, but you're not his enemy either. You're just indifferent to him. But from God's perspective, all of us are or have been at one time his enemy. And at the end of the day, whether or not you think God is your friend doesn't really matter. It doesn't really change the fact that God, of what God thinks about you. See, let me, let me see if I can give an illustration. Um, the Coalition of the Willing have gone into Iraq and they have told the people of Iraq, we are here as your friends. We are your friends. But as long as the people of Iraq see the coalition of the willing as an invading force, as the enemy, well, there will never be peace between the two, will there? It really doesn't matter if you think that you've got no problem with God. God says that he's got a problem with you, that you're his enemy. Not just bad friends, but in the other camp, altogether opposed to God, his rival. You know they say that you ought to choose your friend, your enemies wisely. Well, I guess it would be something of an understatement to say that we human beings have been somewhat reckless in making God our enemy. It's a bit like an ant going up against a bull elephant. You know what's going to happen. You know who's going to get crushed. Well, as enemies of God, we will face the full wrath, the full anger, the rage, the fury of the all-powerful God. We're going to get crushed. 
We have found ourselves in the middle of the greatest conflict the world has ever seen. But as Christians, we've been reconciled to God. Now our friendship has been restored once again. We're no longer enemies, we're friends. And so now Paul, he wants to tell other people about this possibility of being reconciled to God. That's what he now sees as central to his own God-given ministry from now on. Read with me from verse 18 again. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, that gave Paul and his friends, the ministry of reconciliation. Now Paul's ministry is concerned with letting everyone know that they are God's enemy, but that reconciliation is possible. Okay then, well if that's true, if we have had a broken uh, friendship with God, you know, the question that comes to my mind is why? What was the root cause of this problem, of this broken friendship in the first place? Because people don't quarrel for no reason, do they? There's always a root cause. I wonder if you've seen that uh, television commercial for Bert Newton's family feud um, with those two families in that room together fighting one another, you know, pulling at each other's hair and smashing chairs over each other's heads. Have you seen that one? And then Bert comes into the room with his big smile on his face and he says, he says, friends, it's only a game for $100,000. And then the two families get at it again and start ripping at each other's hair. And Have you seen it? No? It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, there's always a root cause. You see, the root cause in that situation was... Both families wanted $100,000 and only one could get it. It's the same in a marriage. There's always a reason why married couples fight. He's left the toilet seat up again. She's taken 10 hours to get ready again. I'm not married, so I can say that in complete safety. <laughs> but you see, there's always a reason, isn't there? So what is the root cause of our broken friendship with God? Well, read with me again from verse 18. From verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Listen to this bit. Not counting men's sins against them. See, for us to be reconciled to God, God has to no longer count our sins against us. See, that's it. That is the root cause of the broken fellowship that we've, we've got with God. Sin, it's become something like a, like a barrier uh, between us and God. It's what separates us from God. Uh, it's that sin that we share with all of humanity and that sin which, um, which we do ourselves that's formed this barrier between us and God. What do I mean by Sin. Well, I mean that decision of people like you and people like me to live our lives autonomously of God. That's what I mean by sin. That choice that we each make to live our life our own way and, and on our own terms with no regard for God and what he wants for us. That's what sin is. Ultimately, it's people 
uh, living for themselves. Now think about that for a moment. Think about every person on the face of this planet living lives for themselves. Can you imagine what kind of world that would look like? I imagine it would be a world where deception flourishes. A world uh, where the strong prosper at the expense of the weak. A world where millions of people lack even the food that they need to live. While other nations spend astronomical amounts of money arming themselves and going to battle. I imagine it would be a world of divorce and a world of family breakdown. A world where abuse and hatred are rampant. Can you imagine a world like that? You don't have to imagine too hard, do you? you just got to walk out those doors. Because it's the world in which we live. And it's all the result of sin. My sin and your sin. And God is very angry. You know, many people these days don't like the idea of an angry God. The idea of a wrathful God. After all, he is the God of love, isn't he? But to say that the loving God cannot be angry is to confuse the whole idea of love. See, love, real love, will always be opposed to evil. The more a father loves his son, the more he will hate in him the drunkard and the traitor and the sleaze and the liar. God looks at the world, he looks at what our sin has produced, and like a loving father, he is furious. And he will not stand for it. The Bible tells us that a day is coming when God will not allow the corruption of our world to continue any longer. It is the only loving thing he could do. The Bible tells us that a day is coming when God will crush all those who live their lives for themselves with no regard for him. That's the bad news. But the good news, no, the great news, is that this battle that once raged between God and individuals, it's not necessarily a permanent uh, a war. I guess most of us here this morning have been in quarrels. We've been involved in fights with other people. And I'm sure most of us realise that when it, most fights, it is possible to make up, to become friends again. And Paul tells us that that's the same here with our friendship with God. He tells us that there can be reconciliation. In fact, Paul now considers himself an ambassador for Christ, a spokesman for Christ, telling people that the part, the part that they are to play in reconciliation with God. Look with me at verse 20. Verse 20. We, that's Paul and his colleagues, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's it. That Paul tells us our part in reconciliation. He tells us what we must do. What does he say? He says, or he pleads with us to be reconciled to God. We must now do whatever it takes to be reconciled to God. But what does it take? 
Paul doesn't really spell it out here, does he? I think because it's so bleeding obvious. Let's suppose for a moment that you've had a fight with a friend. Uh, In the heat of the moment, there's been strong words exchanged. But then you go and you cool down and and you realise that you were a fool to fight with this person. This is a valued friend. And you come to realise that you would love to have your relationship restored with that person. You want to be friends again. So what do you do in that situation? How are you reconciled? It's obvious, isn't it? That you go and you try to repair the damage. You go and you take steps to deal with the root cause of the quarrel. If it's a matter of harsh words spoken, you go along to your friend and you say to them that you're sorry that you said those harsh words. You you tell them that you withdraw that statement entirely. As far as you can, you remove the root cause of the fractured relationship. You take it out of the way. Whatever it is that has come between you and the other person, you take away so that you can be reconciled. If some action is needed, you do it. If a letter has to be written, you write it. If a document has to be signed, you sign it. If money needs to be paid, you pay it, whatever. If it's leaving up the toilet seat, you now leave the toilet seat down. You give thought to whatever the root cause of the trouble is and you take it out of the way. Well, Paul pleads with us to be reconciled to God. And in that, he implies that we do something about the root cause of our broken friendship with God. He implies that we acknowledge our sin, that we say that we are sorry for it. And as far as we can, we stop sinning. We're now to turn from our sin and live God's way. That's what we're to do. Now, it could be that you're here this morning and for the very first time you're faced with the fact that you are perhaps an enemy of God. If that is you, if you're here this morning, then can I plead with you this morning to do something about that? Can I plead with you to be reconciled with God? Can I plead with you not to walk out those doors without having first said to God, I'm sorry for my sin. Without first having acknowledged your guilt before him. Without having first deciding, having decided to follow him and live his way. Because you know there is nothing God wants more than to be reconciled with you. Did you notice there in verse 20 how Paul says that it was actually God who was appealing for reconciliation through Paul, and that he implored people to be reconciled to God on Christ's behalf. This morning, God is appealing to you to be reconciled to him. He wants to be your friend. See, we're never drafted into a friendship with God. We're not puppets on a string. It's up to you. You've got to respond to his appeal, so I implore you, be reconciled to God. But something else must happen too for reconciliation to take place. Uh, Just as it takes two to quarrel, it also takes two to make up. For reconciliation to take place, well, we've already seen our part. But now Paul goes on to tell us God's part in reconciliation. 
He tells us that God has dealt with the root cause of our broken friendship once and for all. He's dealt with our sin. Look with me at verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We've, we've already seen that for a friendship to be restored with God, that the root problem has to be removed, haven't we? We've already seen that we've got a responsibility to turn from our sin and live God's way. But it's so important that we understand that this in itself can never take away the barrier of sin. See, I can resolve all I want to to never sin again. But the fact remains I have sinned in the past. The fact remains I have offended God. See, I can resolve all I want to to never sin again. But the fact is I will, won't I? Because I'm pathetically compelled to continue living for myself. I'm so immersed in my sin that something else must happen. Something else must be done if the root cause of my broken friendship with God is ever to be taken away. Well, according to Paul, that's God's part in reconciliation. And it's a huge part. What did we read? We read, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God sent his own son, Jesus, to live among us. And unlike us, Jesus was never with sin. He never lived for himself. He always obeyed his father. He showed us how we were to live. But his job was much more than that. God sent Jesus to die on a cross to do away with our sin once and for all. See, it's like that barrier that came between us and God has been taken from us and placed upon Jesus. And then the crushing blow of the father has come down upon him, down upon his own innocent son, rather than on us. I think at this point we begin to understand something, just something, of the agony of that cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent Jesus so that you might become right before God. So that God might pronounce judgment in your favour and friendship be restored between you and God once again. He's done what we never could do, you see. Yes, we must change our attitudes. Yes, we must absolutely change our attitudes to, to, to try to live God's way. But we need to understand that no amount of changed attitudes will ever bring reconciliation between us and God. It is what God has done through Christ that brings about reconciliation. Well, today is Good Friday, if you didn't know. Otherwise, why are you at church? Today is Good Friday, and I guess like every other year, tonight as we watch the evening news, we're going to see those tragic, that tragic vision once again of people flocking to churches on their biannual top-up of brownie points, just keeping right with God, 
That's how they'll keep their friendship with God. Once again, we're going to see those foolish people walking down roads and whipping themselves because it's Good Friday. And this is their way of keeping their friendship with God. Some fools nailing themselves to crosses. We'll see people lining up to receive their wafer of reconciliation. We'll see people praying to Mary and saints and porcelain statues, all trying to find friendship with God through them. Friends, what a tragedy. Because despite their grandest and their heartfelt efforts, the mighty fist of God still hovers above them and one day will come down and crush them. Only through the cross do we find God and people reconciled. So no matter who you are this morning, you need to know that no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you go to church, no matter how much you give, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how much you apologise, you will never be friends with God except through Jesus' death on the cross. So I ask you, are you relying on Christ and his work on the cross for you? And are you relying on him and him alone to bring you peace with God? Because no matter who you are, you are a sinner. You have been made God's enemy through your sin. And, but now through Christ, we can have peace with him once again. I think uh, one of the most famous television images in Australian history is what has become known as the Dancing Man. Hopefully you know th this one better than Bert's Family Feud advertisements. It's that um, image of a man dancing down the street after World War II, black and white image. Do you know the one I'm talking about? There he is, he's clicking his heels together, spinning around and he dips his hat. And there the people are filled in the streets, they're, they're, they're the revellers celebrating. And then the camera kind of uh, pans to the right and there's another man holding up a newspaper with the headline in bold print, do you remember it? One word says it all, peace, peace. The man danced and people celebrated because after years of hostility and loss, now there was peace. What a wonderful image that is. But just in conclusion, I want you to know that this idea of peace is not the biblical idea of peace. I want you to know that in the Bible, peace is so much more than a mere absence of war or strife or turmoil. That peace in the Bible is much fuller than that. For us as Christians, peace is not the absence of something, but the presence. For Christians, peace is the presence of God and his rich and abundant blessings for you. This morning, I hope that you've once again been reminded of why we call this Good Friday. It's not a day to mourn, but a day when our hearts ought to dance with joy, like that man in the video clip. Because today we celebrate 
that through the death of our our Saviour, we've been reconciled. War is over. Peace has come. And with it, all the blessings of the presence of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge this morning that we have willfully chosen to live our life on our, our own way and on our own terms. And we acknowledge our sin and our contribution to the awful mess that we have made of this world. Father, please forgive us. We thank you that you love us enough to be angered by our sin. And we thank you that in your love you also want us to be reconciled to you. Help us to turn from our sin and live your way and on your terms. Thank you that you sent Jesus to deal with the problem of our sin once and for all. That he died on our behalf and in doing so made possible our friendship with you. Lord, help us this day to grasp the full significance of the cross of Christ so that we might celebrate, not just for a day, not just for a season, but all the days of our lives. Amen.